0: I came just yesterday. This made all that I learned. The emptiness of life exam time Hello, I'll Welcome, welcome
1: to another time. episode of Things I Learned. This While Learning I is Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Moran, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through these high seas of life. Today we introduce Bioblast number 12, bite-sized taste of notable men, in this, our 145th podcast of our series. We ought to subtitle uh, this one, Bolo. Bohica and Pilot Air, these biographical appetizers or d'oeuvres, if you will, of the lives of the rich, the poor, the famous, the infamous, the notorious, the glorious, or perhaps stories about people like you or like me or like us. But then really probably not like you or me or us. And we are finishing our sojourn, our brief journey that followed the life trajectory of the Van Halen brothers, especially Eddie Van Halen, certifiably in the minds of those who understand such things, um, that Eddie Van Halen was simply the greatest guitar player in all rock and roll history. Of course, Simply mentioning Eddie Van Halen triggers in my mind some final thoughts that I believe deserve mention, albeit briefly. And so we begin, (laughs) you know, Eddie, 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 is this what it took? I mean, insanely talented, insanely gifted, but himself insane. A wounded warrior, perhaps, most hours spent living with his guitars, and insane insane amounts of substance abuse. I think it's safe to say that Eddie was pretty much insane for many of those hours where he was neither asleep nor fully conscious. The mundanities of life were simply ignored, like eating food. At one point, Eddie's weight had drifted down to 125 pounds, a grown man drinking a case of beer a, a day during the day switching to wine at night, and then in the early morning hours, you know, then transitioning to nothing but hard liquor supported by weed, sand dunes of Coke, and whatever other prescribed or non-prescribed drugs or medications that Eddie could get his hands on to inhale, smoke, or swallow. One doesn't tend to worry about eating healthy when this is what one does. Because... Eating is really besides the point. You know, at one stage of his um, life, later in life, Eddie shaved his head, wore baggy cargo pants with a chain for a belt, you know, straggling along in ragged army boots with holes in the front from which his toes were visible. He dressed like a homeless man and drinking liters of red wine straight from the bottle had killed off his front teeth and with it, the smile that had made Eddie so famous. I mean, this is so sad. And Eddie had coined his his studio name 5150 because that was the police bolo code in LA for warning officers to be on the lookout for an escaped mental patient or someone who was on the street and appeared to be crazy or plain out of it. And it would appear that this identification was an accurate description of the shadow of the guitar hero that was the legendary but troubled Eddie Van Halen. Years of abuse and and hard living had taken their toll on Eddie. He had lost the plot on a recording and in in interactions with other people when necessary, he he'd take to repeating himself incessantly, telling people that knew him the same stories over and over and over again. What's with that? Friends would um, would ask whom hadn't seen Eddie for a while. And the answer was, well, Eddie was just circling the airport. Oh, my God. You know, various attempts in the last decade of his life to rekindle his music with the return of David Lee Roth and or Sammy Hagar um uh, failed to gel, and and one is reminded that near the end, Eddie had described his own life as forty years of pain and suffering. Probably and it was probably not far from the truth. Truth and reconciliant efforts, uh, you know, along the lines suggested by Nelson Mandela, that might foster peace in in those disturbing circumstances where trust has been lost, you know, with like with Eddie um, and Sammy Hagar, um, whom had created, you know, a great deal of work together, but whom had stopped speaking simply could never play take place. It could never happen. You know, stage four lung cancer ultimately took its toll on Eddie Van Halen before he and Sammy Hagar ever smoked that proverbial peace pipe. David Lee Roth? Well, he was a a motor mouth, but he never lacked for words. And he once spoke about the Van Halen as a band with a memorable descriptor, three quarters original, one quarter inevitable. And And that seems about right. Weirdly though, nothing involving Eddie would ever be anything but. You know, Eddie had agreed to be interviewed by, of all publications, I mean, I I still have a hard time believing this, he was going to be interviewed by Golf Magazine for its February 2019 edition. And during the brief telephone interview that was being conducted with him, he suddenly interrupted his interviewer by speaking his final public words. I gotta go. There's a coyote in my backyard. Big fucker. Was there a coyote? Who knows? Post that Interrupted um, Golf Magazine interview, Eddie's son Wolfgang uh, had related to Howard Stern that in 2019, Eddie had had both a motorcycle accident and brain cancer, and that things then spir- spiral down quickly. I mean, you got to ask yourself, what was Eddie Van Halen in 2019 doing on a motorcycle? and and qu- the word quickly i think one need to find quickly when it comes to defining the meaning of the term quickly when applied to the ultimate demise of the real guitar hero that was Eddie Van Halen i mean quickly even even when younger stronger arguably in better health the van halen brothers were just complete wild men in the throes of crazy behavior that led only to personal destruction Even at their heights in the early 1980s, you know, post-drummer John Bonham's death in 1980, whereby Led Zeppelin ceased touring, and in fact, in truth, they ceased to exist as a band, it is arguable that Van Halen at that time was the largest, most popular arena rock band in the world. The forum in which rock uh, rock stars transformed into rock gods. You know, I've mentioned previously uh, that Keith Richards claimed in his autobiography, "Life," that, uh, that for ten years, in his opinion, Mick Jagger fully believed he was God, and in Keith's opinion, there was no evidence that Keith, uh, that Jagger was wrong in his belief that he was God. He had all the money in the world, all the women; um, they all proved available to him. People around him dressed like him, talked like him, agreed with him on everything that he thought. Provided him anything that he wanted, and he might have been the only man on the planet earth whom who might, without prior notice, walk in, visit, and spend time with any CEO of any of the world 's largest corporations or any of the world 's heads of state that 's how big that 's how much of a god uh, Mick Jagger was, and in this regard, therefore, I think that Keith Richards was right, Jagger was God, and this is not necessarily healthy, but even by rock. God standards. Van Halen was completely out of control. And I mean completely. You know, let's take the less notorious Van Halen, his brother, Alex. Take a typical night on tour for Alex as illustrative of the nuttiness that was Van Halen. 20 minutes before they were to take the stage, a crew member would break out a case of a cold, tall Schlitz malt can, uh, in cans for Alex. Alex immediately shotgunned three, four, five of those cans, and then took with him to the stage several more cans. Alex would then piss into rubber trash cans that were conveniently placed by attentive roadies nearby his drum kit. And after nearly every song, Alex would take a piss, and he'd polish off a case of tall boys by show's end. This is not normal behavior for anyone. And Eddie was the wild man? I mean, the ancient Greeks wrote often that happiness, contentment, You know, the virtuous, the good life was to be found at the golden mean. That point that exists in life between two extremes, avoiding excess was necessary. You know, the Doric expression that was carved on the front of the temple of Delphi even read nothing in excess. The ancient mythological Cretan tale of Daedalus and Icarus foreshadows the troubles likely to be found in pursuing a life of excess. Daedalus, if you know the story, was a famous artist, and he had built feathered wings for himself and his son so as to escape the clutches of the feared king Minos. Daedalus, however, you know, he cautioned his son, whatever you do, don't fly like JFK Jr. Bad things will happen. Don't do anything crazy. Okay, well, sure, that's not what Daedalus actually said to his son, um, Icarus, but that is definitely what he meant to tell him. He did advise Icarus, whatever you do, fly the middle course between the sea spray and the sun's heat. Hmm. Icarus, who was like the goofball that was JFK Jr., he disregarded the sound of advice of his father, He blew off his dad's warning, and with a big ego, masquerading as a big ego, Icarus had to believe himself to be either um, a stunt pilot with extraordinary skills, or he was actually the ancient Greek forerunner of the indomitable Chuck Yeager, unquestionably the most famous test pilot in all aviation history. Icarus would prove himself wrong when he rode those updrafts over the Mediterranean higher and higher until the sun melted the wax off his wings. I should say, this is is a very big problem for any such pilot to find himself in such circumstances, lacking a backup engine to power his aircraft sufficiently to make it you know, safely back to a local airstrip. Now there is no Af- Af- air traffic control to call here because there are no phones. The pilot, in this case, is doomed. I say this because the glide ratio of Icarus's craft was not reported by the Roman poet Ovid in his Metamorphosis, which is where we learned of this ancient and probably, now that I think about it, first reported instance of pilot error. The lesson is obvious. For not heeding daddy's advice to take the middle course, JFK Jr., well, I mean Icarus, plummeted into the sea and drowned. But Daddy hadn't ever given his Van Halen boys advice. No, no. And when he did, it certainly wasn't what we might call good advice. So the Van Halen brothers, like Icarus, flew higher and higher, as Rita Coolidge, one of Chris Christopherson's wives, would sing, until their flight plan to Oblivion entered the death spiral phase, from which, really, escape would prove impossible. Imagine life, yours, um, theirs, anybody's really touring the planet somewhere uh, you know like 140, 150 nights a year for decades on end. And, and this is the life one experiences. Well, let me let me let me make that clear. This is the life that Van Halen had um, according to Sammy Hagar. Van Halen's lead vocalist for a decade post David Lee Roth and he has shared with the world the following that there is no middle ground here it's more like when you come to a fork in the road you take it Hager reported and I actually I actually believe he was bragging about this in a big big way that it was Van Halen policy to have tents set up beneath the stage in the arenas where uh, Van Halen performed one for each band member and during the show band members would point out to you know kind of a sycophantic uh you know crew crew members you know, very particularly attractive women in the crowd whom seemed based on their behavior during the songs to be the kind of women who would enjoy experiencing Van Halen band members, well, up close and personal. And so then the crew would dutifully uh, circulate amongst the crazed crowd and round up those women, desirable, enthusiastic, and seemingly willing women, and escort them to the various designated tents beneath the stage. And given instructions that, given time constraints, the women, all of them, ought to get naked immediately and await the serious sexual attention that would be paid upon them by a Van Halen rock star in just a few moments. Whoa! According according to Hagar, during Eddie's guitar solos, that were famous and lasted 20 to 25 minutes, he, Sammy Hagar, and fellow band members would hurriedly beeline it to their personal tents where during any given Van Halen show, Sammy and the others would enter their personal tent to be greeted by five or six bouncing, already naked women risen to the state of high heat, primed, all systems go, given those time restraints, to give it up to a rock star. whoa whoa, whoa. An intimate group sex relationship of, of somewhat modest duration, lasting 20 to 25 minutes, involving all of them, seemed to have been a thrill a thrill for those liberated feminist women whom got the attention they had so obscenely desired and of which they now had bragging rights to share with all of their envious and jealous girlfriends. Objectified sex objects? Damn straight. I hope so. Are you kidding me? The Van Halen hard men, common to all rock gods, however, they were they, they were not desirous of producing offspring with any of these modern, liberated, objectified feminist women. No, that was not part of the plan. With the women with whom they trusted, trusted no, no, they were not. No matter how intense the emotional experience, no matter how satisfying the physical bonding that had taken place, generated by these serial and deeply moving, I'm sure, five to ten minute relationships. To avoid the 20th century phenomena, horror, potential paternity suits, these hard men, these rock gods resolved. They avoided both adverse outcomes, pregnancy and paternity papers being served on them by having the modern, liberated, feminist-in-heat-lucky women bend over in anticipation of and in preparation for as Herodotus had had so subtly, yet so pictorially put it to us readers 2,500 years ago to be ready for a different kind of sex. Hmm. <laughs> As Eddie completely understood the the logistics of what was going on down in the tents below the stage as a good mate, he knew he was expected to take his time to go slowly building those guitar solos for which he had become so famous. Working, stroking, tapping those strings, and slowly but surely layering his extended performance, working the rhythm, feeling the pulse, experimenting, altering the cadence, pushing it here, pushing it there, so rapturously, while sensually working, building momentum toward that singular moment of glorious, ultimate climax, where after all that expenditure of effort, a full commitment of his body, his heart, his soul, Eddie on stage in rapture in front of the roaring crowd, his band members throbbing in those tents below, and the enthralled audience in the arena, each and all of them sharing in that tumultuous simultaneous moment of total release. whoa they they were just completely spent. Wow, Bravo, Bravo! Oh my God, what a performance, Eddie! And you thought you gave it all at at work. You you simply you and I we simply have no idea what goes on in this world. Given that Eddie was such a great team player, by the way, his bandmates appreciated Eddie's giving it up for them. And exhausted but exhilarated, Eddie Van Halen would be rewarded for his great teamwork soon thereafter. Whenever um uh he'd head down to his tent his tent during brother Alex's extended 20 to 25 minute drum solos so that he could experience the same treatment like the song says when a man loves a woman and and this exhibition of teamwork among the boys is so inspiring and it gives one goosebumps doesn't it Oh my goodness. Thank God the modern American woman has been freed from the oppression of a patriarchal society. I mean, this would not be possible in 2023 in say Afghanistan, the Saudi Arabia of MBS or 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 under the tyrannical mullahs of Iran. No way, bohika. But for the guys, the emotional wreckage, the blowback. And you can understand why all this craziness creates cynicism on world-class levels. Does anybody get out alive? Well, perhaps not. And there's simply no way lives like this end well. And I guess you might conclude after all this that the Van Halen brothers were famous. They were rich, powerful, with many women as a reward. A full life. But then upon further examination, maybe the question to be asked and answered is simply this. Would you prefer to be the dad, the dad who counseled sons, Eddie and Alex, to solve their problems by providing them vodka at age 12, or would you prefer to live as the ancient ancient father Daedalus lived and who had tried to give his son the kind of advice that would keep him safe, from harm. Whom would you rather be? It's your call. Hey, thanks for listening, and I hope you'll tune in again. Bye-bye. And as for Eddie...
0: There's so much to do and there's so much to see, Mother Nature's had her way. There are mountains and valleys and beautiful hills, each vista something new. And though my imagination's been captured, my thoughts, they return to you. Burning in on my back. There's something wrong deep inside of me, or something I must lack. For I've got this worry, you believe in me, and I must admit it that I'm scared. So, can you try to convince